Alright guys, we got some handouts coming your way. So grab one of those. that is on my breastplate. Testing one, and two, and three. Okay. All right, guys, we're going to jump right into it this morning. Um, handouts are getting there, um, so make sure you have one of those. You'll want that to grab everything that the Lord has for us this morning, and um, just make sure that you can track with us. So this thing's kind of working. That's going to work. Okay. So if you could run it on that side, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that's great. Shout out to Brock, who's been helping us figure out the tech every single night, and like the people that are like, especially me, not communicating what needs to be done in advance. So he's just like scrambling right now, and it's totally my fault. So. <laughs> um, all right, this morning we're going to be in the book of Daniel. So if you guys have your Bible, open up to the book of Daniel. We're going to be in chapter one. If you don't have your Bible, all the verses are going to be on the screen anyway. So you want to capture everything into your note catcher. Um, you want to be able to grab those things. Um, just for a second, we're going to set the stage. So I don't know if you guys know. Who, who feels like they know a little bit about Daniel? Like you could tell me a thing about that book. Okay, so that's like 10 out of, what is it, 80 people in here? So not a lot of knowledge about Daniel. That's a good thing. Um, let's set the stage. Daniel's a book that could give you a headache in a hurry. Oh, don't, don't mind this. Don't mind this. Brock, you can just go to the next slide. That's just... No, no. <laughs> Daniel's a book that could give you a headache in a hurry. Um, it's rich in historical information. There's a lot going on there about what happened in the past, what's going to happen in the future. That means the book is prophetic. Uh, much has been said about the book of Daniel. Much will be said about it. And we're not going to dive super into the weeds this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to take the first eight verses of this book and we're going to strive to get some inspirational application for our lives this weekend, okay? So like Jeff was saying, you know, we have an opportunity. This isn't just a time on Saturday morning before the other things come. This is an opportunity for us to hear from the Lord. And we want to humble ourselves. We want to posture ourselves in a position that says, God, I want to get everything that you have this morning from these eight verses. I believe there's a lot. I believe that if you get what is here and what's available from these verses that you can have a greater understanding of what your Christian life looks like, um, kind of the battle which we're in. A, a lot of context can be built, and you can be strengthened through this morning if you'll allow that. So we need to have a humble, um, 
humble posture before the Lord this morning to receive all that he has for us. And I, w- I want to invite you guys into that. Okay? So, I'm a believer in putting, putting the main idea up front so you guys know where we're going, and then you're going to see how we're going there, and we're going to do that over and over and over this morning. So, our thesis for Daniel chapter 1, with the title of The Objectives of the Enemy, you guys see on your handout, is, if we aren't intentionally purposed to be set apart, we're setting ourselves up for defilement. Okay, so those are, those are some words that are collectively put on here. You're like, I'm not sure what that really means. By the end of this message, I believe we'll have an understanding of this. If we aren't intentionally purposed to be set apart, we're setting ourselves up for defilement. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, the privilege that it is to worship your name, to call upon you. God, right now we just recognize our need for you. God, you've been showing me these things. You've been working them out in my heart, in my life. I want these things. I want to understand them to a greater degree. And God, we need it. As I, as I look through the points that you have, the verses that we're going to be looking at, we need these things. So Lord, would we take that humble posture? Would we just open ourselves up to whatever it is that you would say, whatever it is that you want to do, and would we move forward with action? Uh, we don't want to be just hearers. We want to be doers. We don't want to be just hearers and understanders but we want to be people that move forward according to what you say. So Lord, help us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, um, we'll start there. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, okay, there's going to be some fun names. Don't get lost in the fun names. They're fun. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. All right, some of you guys are like, what in the world? Two big names. They're talking about places I have no idea where they are. Hold with me for a few seconds. So I'm a history teacher, if you guys didn't know that. I'm actually a history teacher that no longer teaches history, so it's like sad boy all the time. I'm like, I love history, and then I just sit in the lab with people getting on ingenuity all day long, and it's just like, do your stuff. That's all I do as a teacher anymore. So I'm a, I'm a history teacher, though, so let, pity me for a second. In the context of all this, the year is 597 before Common Era. 2,600 years ago, 600 years before the birth of Christ. This is not how I would lecture in class. You guys would lose your mind like, like that. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. But we have this king, Jehoiakim. And he rules the kingdom of Judah. So if you guys are looking at these verses, you'll see these things. He rules this kingdom of Judah from the city of Jerusalem. And he's part of this long line of kings. So this um, Judah, it's been a nation. It was Israel, then it was Judah. They were combined. There's this long lineage of kings that rule from Jerusalem for about 400 years to this point. So that's a long heritage, right? That's That's a long period of time. The kingdom and the nation, it used to be larger. But it split in half when Israel, in the top, and Judah had different priorities. Some of these people said, we want to worship the Lord. Some of these people are like, hey, I kind of want to do what the rest of the world's doing. We're going to branch off and do that stuff for a while. So Israel, in the north, they ended up getting judged by the Assyrians in 721. You're like, Barf, I hate this. Would you please stop with all the history? <laughs> I'm just setting the stage. About 120 years before this stuff was written, the kingdom to the north was absolutely wrecked. This enemy, the Assyrians, they come in, they wipe them out. 
So 120 years later, here's the bad news. Jehoiakim, he's still chilling in Jerusalem. He's like, man, I wish they had just walked with the Lord. I wish that wasn't the case. We're here. Things are starting to turn south. He's recognizing that. Um, But Jehoiakim is chilling in Jerusalem. But the problem is that God has already told them that the same thing was going to happen to them. The same thing was going to happen to him in Jerusalem and their children. They were going to be taken captive. They were going to be overrun as well. So in Isaiah 39, verses 5 through 7, I don't even know where Brock went. I don't know how he's doing this. I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) This is spooky. In Isaiah 39, um, Isaiah is writing, and he says, this is what verses 5 through 7, Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, so this prophet Isaiah talking to the king, Hezekiah, at that point, which is, if you look historically, it's not just like the Christians that believe this, but Hezekiah is the king around 700, okay? So this is about 100 years before Daniel writes, and that's significant because he's going to tell the future. Isaiah's going to say, this is what's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to the kingdom of Judah, Um, and you guys need to know this. So Isaiah says to Hezekiah the king, hear the word of the Lord of hosts, behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, which we just saw in Daniel chapter 1, all those things, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord, and of thy sons that shall issue from thee, these kids that you have, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Okay, so again, there's some confusing stuff here, but the, the two important points that you just get for free this morning, number one, is we know God's word is God's word, Because God tells us what's going to happen hundreds of years before it happens, and then it does. I don't know if you guys caught that. Isaiah is prophesying, hey Jerusalem, hey city, hey king in the future, your whole city is going to get wrecked, and they're going to take you away to Babylon, and they're going to make you unfruitful slaves. That's prophesied a hundred years before it actually happens in what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 1. That's a big deal. So we know that God's word is God's word, and we should believe this right now as we're viewing it, right? We know that God's word is God's word because God tells us what's going to happen hundreds of years in advance, and then it does happen. So you can't walk out of here. Maybe you walked in here like this. We don't get to walk out of here having just looked at a book or at some words or at some guy talking about a lot of history. The, the words of God are going to be on the screen. The words of God are, are what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 1. So we can't just walk out of here thinking it's just a book or it's just words and it has nothing to do with my life. You can't tell the future 100 years from now, especially with the degree of accuracy and authenticity that the Bible does. So that's your first point for free. The second one is, man, when we don't accept God's word as God's word, like what we're talking about in Daniel chapter 1, when we don't accept God's word as God's word, there are grave consequences to that. That's a really big deal. Isaiah is saying, hey, this is what's going to happen unless you repent. And then it does. So we're going to be looking at a little bit of that this morning as well. Okay, so Jehoiakim and the people that are supposed to follow the Lord are in Jerusalem. If you know anything about history or that city, this is a place where God has chosen, uh, where he wants himself to be magnified. He's like, from this place, I want everybody to know that I'm the Lord God. So I want you to build a temple. um, I want you to sacrifice. I want you to be there and be obedient to the truth. But what Daniel chapter 1 is saying is that God allows Nebuchadnezzar, this worldly king, a picture of the Antichrist, the king of this world, in effect, the strongest nation in the world, he allows that guy to come in um, and take that city over. He besieges it. 
Okay, so what is besiege? That's, that's a word we need to understand because this is going to be part of our first key point coming up here in a second. Besiege is to surround a place with armed forces. You guys have seen like those old cities, right? Those really old cities, not just like a couple hundred years ago, but like a thousand, two thousand years ago. They would build a city and they'd put the most important stuff in the center and then the rich people and then the middle class and then the poor people and then the wall. And that wall's purpose was to keep them from getting overrun because all they had were horses and chariots and bows and arrows, sometimes a little bit of catapult action. But what's going on there is if you can keep a wall around your city, then you're safe from being overrun. So they built the walls because there aren't planes, right? That's not a thing yet. So to besiege is to surround those walls with armed forces so nothing can get in through the gates. And they say if we can do this for long enough, if we can... Um, kind of run you dry, we can wear you down, we can keep the supplies from getting in, we can make you surrender. And that's a strategy that works over and over and over. So we have to understand, okay, so what, we're talking about all this history, let's get to us. We have to understand that people and places like what we're talking about in Daniel chapter 1 that are supposed to magnify the Lord, those are always going to be under attack. They'll always be under attack. So this is what Nebuchadnezzar did. He's type of Antichrist. And this is what Satan does in our lives as well. Okay, so on this next, on this next slide, there's a picture of this happening to a city like Jerusalem. Uh, they've got these walls, and then there's this, there's this mass surrounding the city. They're saying, we're going we're gonna to bleed you out. We're going to wear you down. We're going to make you surrender. We're going to besiege this city long enough so that you'll quit. Okay, so our main idea this morning is to figure out what is the objective, what are the objectives of the enemy, of Satan. So I'll ask for a little bit of forgiveness on this first key point. Uh, this is a little while, it's a little long, you got blanks there, forgive me, I'm sorry, I typically don't do this. But key point number one, what is the objective of the enemy? The enemy's objective is to besiege the believer. To surround those places where worship and intimacy with Christ occur and attack them until they finally surrender. Satan is trying to flush believers out from their rightful places, places of worship, and bring them to places of idolatry. So this is what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 1. It's taking us a second to set the stage, and I hope you're with me still. This is what Satan's heart is. He wants to surround you. He wants to, to bog you down. He wants to keep the resources from coming in so that you'll be strengthened and encouraged in the place where you're supposed to be worshiping and honoring and glorifying the Lord, which is the purpose of every single individual that has ever existed, including all of us. And he wants us to take us out of that place and bring us to a place of idolatry. And he's, he's had victory, even in this room. The, the reality is Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, we're not fighting, like, you're never, I don't think, I don't think you're going to ever end up in a city where there's this big wall around you and you're dependent on that wall to keep, like, physical enemies from coming in and, like, slaying you. I don't think that's going to happen. That'd be really unlikely, given the trajectory we're on. That'd be strange. But we do wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. It's the spiritual wickedness in high places. It's the spiritual battle. So whether you've ever recognized it or not, I, I hope you do right now, and if you're somebody purposing to live for the Lord, there's this swarm all around you of, of like a spiritual attack. It's besieging this camp even. And we felt that a little bit, I believe. So we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant because that adversary, the devil, 
as a roaring lion, as somebody who wants to come in and slay and make us surrender, and he's seeking who he may devour. He's hoping to find a way in. He's hoping to find a way into the spots that we've set apart for worshiping the Lord so that he can take people out or he can wreck that place. So he wants us to surrender. He wants to surround us with as much opposition and junk and distractions and, and all that stuff that we just give up hope. You know, it's every, every time we try and have a retreat, all this hard stuff happens. And there's always this like drama. Or like Every time I try and have a Bible study, people are always just like trying to talk about who knows what. Every time I'm trying to do this thing, every time I'm trying to have a quiet time, something comes up and I just, I just can't focus. So Satan wants to take down those places where God's people are to be dwelling, where, they're be, where they are to be building themselves up, where they're to be worshiping and encouraging one another and living Christ. And that's present this weekend. That's present right here. That's present in our cabin times as we're purposing to, to talk about the things that matter. All that stuff is there. Physical churches are closing or they're teaching stuff that's just like, what in the world is that? Where did that come from? Quiet times are disappearing. Bible studies aren't studying the Bible. Satan's objective is to overrun these places um, because if he does, how are the inhabitants going to stand? You know, like if you're in that city and the, the enemy comes in, I mean, you're just going to be fighting all the time. You're not, it's not a safe place anymore. So I, I just want to encourage you guys um, in, those, in those safe places that I'm talking about to start this morning. And there's quiet times. There's Sunday mornings. There's places where we worship and in times when we're praying, like when we're worshiping, protect that space, right? That's such a sweet space that, that can build you up and soften your heart and bring you to a place where you actually look at the Lord for who he is. One, be in those places, and then when you're in those places, posture yourself in a way that just says, you, Lord, you, I'm lifting you up. It's not about me. Don't be the distraction. When the word of God is open, value that, guys. I didn't, I didn't even know how to do that until I was like 20-something. Like I, I knew a couple verses. I didn't know why I needed to know anything about them, though. It was just like I, there wasn't value there. We can't afford to miss out when the Word of God is open. That's, that's God's viewpoint on it. When we're praying with somebody else, or there's somebody else making a decision right by you, and don't be the reason why they can't focus on the thing that God is dealing with them with, because you're like, I drank too much Mountain Dew. <laughs> like you just, you just, you're a middle schooler and you're twitching. You've got weird stuff going on. We don't want to be used to the enemy. So here's, here's kind of a verse that's underlying a lot of what we're talking about this morning. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. It says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And we can't, like, this whole morning is kind of around this, around that thesis. We don't want to be ignorant that Satan is attempting to defile and corrupt and discourage and do all these things so that we would just surrender. We can't be ignorant of that, because whenever we're ignorant of that, he's got this like, mighty, massive advantage over us. We're like, we're three steps back, and he's just like, he's running the show. Chess and checkers, we're getting our butts kicked. So we can't afford that. Okay, we've had enough on this first couple verses. Let's keep going. Look at verse 3 with me. I'm up here trying to click the thing like I have the ability. <laughs> it's not even working. <clears throat> verse 3, Daniel chapter 1. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz. Okay, we're going to have a couple other weird names. Hang with it. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed 
and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in all knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. All right, so King Neb, that's what we'll call him from here on, our boy King Neb, he says, hey, Ash, right-hand man, yo, Nas, I don't know what the nickname he would use. Like, like anybody got a nickname for Ashpenaz? It just rolls off the tongue. What? Jebediah. Not Jebediah, probably. <laughs> Maybe Bill. Maybe it's just something completely different. Just like that's, There's not great names in this chapter, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so I'm not sure of the nickname, but man, this guy, that's the master of the eunuchs. To, to his master of the eunuchs, he says, bro, you know, as king, I don't really ask for that much all the time. Could we maybe, like, he's, like, shuffling his feet. No, he's probably not. Ew. Could we maybe, like, have a celebration for how I destroyed Jerusalem party? Could you, like, give me a present for that? I'd feel really good. Could you, like, um, I don't know. He's like, what do you want? What do you want, King Neb? Um, maybe you could just find me a bunch of little boys. Cool. That's what the king says. Could you find me a bunch of little boys? But oh, you know, you know the little boys I like. Not just any little boys, but the ones that um, they're good looking. Bro, this guy's a creep. You see this? In no blemish. I want the ones that are they're good looking, the smart ones, the ones that have understanding and special skills. <laughs> bring me those boys, Ash. Can you bring me some little boys as a present for having destroyed Jerusalem? That's a weird request. <laughs> I put it on your notes because I thought it was important. King Neb is grody, guys. He's a nasty, he's a nasty fellow. But so is Satan. So is Satan. Okay, for a second, let's look at this. Who is Ashpenaz? Ashpenaz's name means I will make prominent the sprinkled. What? Okay, so sometimes you take names and you like learn a bunch of really cool stuff, and sometimes you're like, that's a weird name, <laughs> and you just confirm it. So that's a weird name. Uh, but he is the master of the eunuchs. Okay, some of us don't know what a eunuch is. I told Dylan, oh, no. if there was a bet to be made on whether I would say the word testicle during this message, you should bet yes, because here it comes. Oh. A eunuch is a man that has been castrated. Okay, Josh, I don't know what castrated means. <laughs> Help me out. Okay, to castrate is to remove the testicle, though. Like, bro, this is a, like a middle school junior. <laughs> like, I'm little. Okay, don't lose your mind. Don't lose your mind. Forgive me if that's too much for you. I do apologize. I was thinking through it, but I, we had to have it. It's a, key, it's a key idea here, so stay with me. I'm not definitive, absolutely, that Ashpenaz himself doesn't have his family jewels. But you know what they say, that you can't lead somebody where you haven't been. So he's the master of the eunuchs. I, I imagine he has also been um, taken care of, I'll say. So King Neb says, here we go. King Neb says, hey, I'd really like to fulfill the rest of Isaiah's prophecy that we were looking at, right? So the stuff has been taken out. But it also says, I'm going to make your children eunuchs. So King Neb doesn't even know that he's doing this. God knows, but he doesn't know. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to um, just ask for some kids. I have all this stuff. I've got it in the temple of my God. It's no longer in its rightful place. But I want some kids, and I want to make them eunuchs. Okay, catch this. I want to take away their ability to bear fruit. I want to take away their ability to bear fruit. I want to make them a eunuch. I want to castrate them. So said another way, um, Satan is not content just capturing the places or the stuff. Like if he can get in here and distract at camp, that's, that's something that he does desire to do. 
but he wants to capture every individual, and he wants to rob the Lord of the glory that's due his name through us. Our purpose of being here is to magnify and glorify the Lord. I don't know if you guys have ever recon- reconciled that or recognized that, but that's our purpose in life, is to bring God glory. So Satan says, man, I want to overrun those places, but I also want to take down the most prized people. And when I'm talking about the most prized people, I'm thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about you guys. You're the next generation of fruit bearers. You're the next generation of people that God wants to get glory from. He wants to see fruit come out of your lives, every one of you. So this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to take away your ability to bear fruit. And he can see you guys. He can see the giftings that God has given you. He can see the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding like that, like these verses are talking about. He can see or foresee a little bit of who you might grow into if you'll stick around, if you'll hang with the Lord, if you'll come to church regularly, if you'll get mentored, if you'll take these next steps little by little, adding to your faith virtue and knowledge and all these things. He can see where you may end up. And he says... I am the enemy of that. I hate that. He sees who you are and the great potential that you have to magnify and glorify the Lord. So the objective of the enemy, key point number two, the enemy's objective is to get the believer out of those places which will develop those giftings that will lead to God being glorified and castrate them so that they will never bear fruit. The enemy never wants you to have fruit that will abound to your account for eternity because that means God has been exalted in this physical life, and he's, been, he's going to be lifted up forever. And if he can stop that, that's part of his objective. So I, go, I don't know if you guys have ever really thought through this. Do you guys know that Christ wants every single one of us to bear fruit? Like, to live a life that leads other people to knowing Jesus Christ? Every one of us. 11 to like 68 in here. It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter the time in which we're engaging in that process. He wants every one of us to bear fruit. John 15, verse 14. And Before we get there, man, bearing fruit isn't just like striving really hard to do the right Christian thing, like play, playing by all the rules, staying within the boundaries. Like there's something to that. But man, God wants us to abide with him that we might be empowered to be able to do those things, not us wrestling in the flesh to figure stuff out. Man, don't do that. So John 15, 14, it's Christ's heart. He says, hi, hi, child of mine, who I created, who I've known forever. Like, I've got all of you figured out. Would you just abide with me? Abide in me? And I in you? Because you can't bear fruit without me. You just can't do that. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, the whole plant that exists, no more can ye except you abide in me. So Christ wants the conditions for your life, for your Christian walk, to be just right so that you will grow and that you will be fruitful. He talks about that in Matthew 13, verse 23. He says, he's talking about this good ground, how it's, um, it's somebody who hears the word. And then somebody that's not only just hearing it, but they're processing it. They're thinking about it. They're contemplating what is true. So they're understanding the word. And then they're bearing fruit. Some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I was thinking about that this time around. I read these verses before. They've hit me in different ways before. Some hundreds, some sixty, some thirty. And God wants to use you guys to bear much fruit. How many people are you going to lead to the Lord? 
I don't want to put a cap on that for my life. Like he's got some big exponentially growing numbers here. And he's got a vision and a heart for your guys' lives. And if we're just engaging that, he is mighty and he is strong and he is able. And his spirit can communicate truth beyond what we're able to communicate. And we can bear fruit. He can do that. He wants the conditions to be right so that that can happen. Um, the verse prior to that, Matthew 13, 22, the situation can exist where it's not that. Satan wants the conditions to be off in any way that he can. So we will be just this plant that's like wilting away. We're just like barely hanging on. We're barely alive and we're unfruitful. That's when the, the thorns and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of pursuing riches and all this junk in the world, they, they choke out the word and we become unfruitful. That's his objective every time the Bible is open. I just want to distract and choke and suffocate this space so that you're just too tired and too whatever to receive these things. Because I know if you get them in there and you understand it and you believe it and you live it, you're going to bear fruit. So we can't afford that. We can't afford ourselves to be, uh, allow ourselves to be moved out of those ideal places like, like Jesus is talking about there. Because when we're moved out, catch this, when we're moved out of those places, we lose the ability to bear fruit, to produce it. And when we become unfruitful, the world is still looking at me. The world is still looking at you. And they say, a relationship with Jesus doesn't look attractive whatsoever. There's no fruit. There's no life. So when we're moved out of those places where we're abiding with the Lord, people still see us. And we're helping them to have justification to not choose Christ. Lord, help us. With the state of the world as it is, we can't afford to be that Christian, guys. That can't happen. I'm not shaming or guilting. I feel that in me myself right now. Like, I, I want to bear fruit. And then there's times where I'm just like, whatever the heck I am. Just being foolish, being silly. Okay, this won't come as a surprise. The state of the world, this isn't going to come. I'm going to give you a statistic. I'm going to give you something that was published three days ago. October 20th, the American Academy of Pediatrics the Children's Hospital Association and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry jointly published this thing and declared that children and adolescents' mental health should be considered a national emergency. Three days ago, like right now, your guys' mental health should be considered an emergency because of the state of the world. And kids are just like, so... It's grievous, guys. Your, your friends, you guys sometimes, us sometimes as leaders, our mental health, our spiritual well-being is just garbage. It's an emergency, even by the world standards. <laughs> like the world saying, this is really bad. Yeah, we, can't be, we can't be ignorant. We can't be disinterested. We can't be disengaged with this because Satan's getting an advantage. All right, so so far we've got two things. Satan wants to take you out of the places devoted to worshiping God. Two, Satan wants to take out the people devoted to worshiping God by redirecting their focus onto something else. Okay, let's look at verse 4. What we're going to see here is Satan wants to reprogram us. So the second half of verse 4, And whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Okay, so back to King Neb, Grody Neb. Grody Neb. He's asked for these children. 
And this is what he wants to do with these children. He says, man, I'd really like to teach them how to think like the world thinks, like the Chaldeans. This, this representation of worldly ideas and idolatry and nastiness and separation from God. I'd really like to teach them how to think like the world thinks. I'll give them a free education, full scholarship. Don't worry about it. I'd really like to teach them how to talk and speak my language. It'd be really cool if they could just sound just like me whenever they communicated. That'd be great. I'd like to fill them up with things that the world loves to consume. And my, my special meats that are offered unto idols, these foods, these, these wines, these fine things in the world, I'd like to have them desire and crave those things instead of the things of the Lord. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Satan recognize that if they can get those things happening, and man, those things sound kind of attractive. I don't know if you see things that feel attractive here, but the king of this world makes these things seem really attractive. A different way of learning and thinking, a different way of speaking, a different thing to consume than God has to offer. Those things can sound really attractive. But whenever we accept those, they've got us. Like that picture of the little bass, and you guys are fishing a little bit. We're almost there. They've got us, hook, line, and secret. You thought you were getting something cool, something that just felt good in the flesh for a moment, and you're just like, all right, I got you. And it took over your heart. So what's the objective of the enemy? Key point number three. The enemy recognizes the connection between our thoughts, our speech, our desires, and our actions, the things we do in this life. And he wants to control every one of those things. Some of you guys need to understand this. You never really thought about this. What's the matter what I think? What's the matter how I talk? Why can't I say what I want? Why can't I do what I want? The enemy recognizes there is a connection between our thoughts, our speech, our desires, and our actions, and he wants to control all of them. And worse yet, once he has one of those things, look at that list. Once he has one of those things, he's well on his way to having all of them. Well on his way. Think about this. He's got a daily provision for us. I don't know if you know what that means, just the words. Daily, he's providing. Every day. Here you go. You want a free education? You want my language? You want my things to consume? Every day. Satan is actually a really, like he's a dang good host. He's the God of this world. He's a dang good host to us. We don't have any need. He's always ready. He's like, he's got little waiters all around. He's like, you want this? And then he just brings it right away. All you can eat. He's a great host to give us the things of the world. And Satan will offer up the things of this world, its ideas, its language, its cares, its ways of being every day. There's a daily provision of those things until the end goal is reached, which is, like those verses are saying in Daniel, God's children standing reprogrammed before the king of this world. So it might be quick. It might not take very long to eat all those things up and be just like all the other Chaldeans. Might take a while. He was planning on three years in the chapter we're looking at, but he's going to go after it every single day, relentlessly. He doesn't care how long it takes. You might be thinking, why does King Neb care about the thoughts or the like the things, all these little details about these children? Why does Satan care about my thinking, my speech, my desires? Okay, so I've shared this in a different place before. I'll share it here because we need it. He cares because our senses impact our thoughts. Okay, what the heck are you talking about? 
Well, this verse is saying, man, the, the light of the, the body is the eye. The way things get into your body largely is because of your senses, right? Your eyes are open, things get in there, and, man, what, if those things are good, if they're full of light, then how, how light can we be? Like, there, there can be so much light in there. If they're dark, if they're focused on the wrong things, or our senses are taking in the wrong things, and that's a great darkness. So our senses impact our thoughts, but then our thoughts influence our heart. So if we're thinking on things over and over and over, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, if we're thinking on that over and over and over and over again, that impacts the thing that you love. Sometimes I feel myself like feeling a little bit distant from Jerry. Like Jerry's right there, and I'm right here, and I'm like, I need to start thinking about my wife more, because that impacts my heart towards her. So whenever, if, if I'm feeling distant from you, or if I'm feeling distant from the Lord, or if I'm feeling distant from my wife, I'm like, I need to start thinking on the right things so that my heart will be impacted. Because the reality is, uh, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if you're spending all your time on this thing, that's the thing that you value. That's where your treasure has been placed upon. Okay, so those are the first two. Third one, our heart informs our actions. So we've got things are getting in. That impacts our thinking. Our thinking impacts our heart. And then our heart informs the things that we do. Matthew 12, 34, it says, Out of the abundance of the heart, that's the things you talk about. So the things you're thinking about become the things that you care about. The things that you care about become the things that you talk about. Why don't I want to share Christ with anybody? Why don't I think about souls ever? Why don't I think about like the, the depravity of man and like the, the messiness of this situation? Why, why is that not something that I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It's not in your heart. Proverbs 23, 7, it says, as he thinketh in his heart, that's who he is. So is he. That's who, that's who we are. So things are getting in. They're impacting our mind. They're going down into our heart, and they're coming out in our, in our words and in our actions towards other people. Last one, our actions reinforce our thoughts. So it becomes this vicious cycle. The things we do, Proverbs 16, 3, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. How do I get to the place where I give a crud? I'll use that one. How do I get to the place where I care at all about the things of the Lord? Engage in one of these areas. Engage your mind, or, or your heart, or your actions, and then it becomes this cycle. And keep doing it, and you become somebody that loves the Lord with all that you have. So the next slide is all those things together. Uh, this is a crazy cycle. Simply put, if he has your eyes, he has your thoughts. And if he has your thoughts, he has your heart. And if he has your heart... If he has your actions, if he has your actions, then, man, we're in, we're in bad shape because if he's got our eyes, our thoughts, our heart, our actions, he has us standing before him instead of in the place we should be honoring and worshiping him with all that we have. So we got to be aware. We can't be ignorant of this stuff, guys. 2 Corinthians 2.11, we cannot be ignorant. We can't afford for him to have the advantage in all this battle that's taking place all around us. Okay, let's look at these last few verses. We're coming to the end. Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Bro, give me all these children. Here, all the children come. This is what we're going to do with them. Now, among these, all these children, now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. So he got names. We just read them. But he gave them names. For he gave unto Daniel the name. Man, these all get worse, right? These Chaldeans don't know how to name nobody. Nothing. Mistake. Unto the name Daniel, he calls him Belteshazzar. <laughs> Hi, Belteshazzar. 
And you could mock me on it, but like me and Jerry clicked on, like we typed that in one time, and then we did like the little play thing, and it was like, Belteshazzar. <laughs> so I think it's pretty close, if not right on. Daniel's Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and Azariah of Abednego. So as we think about the command that King Neb gave, and there, if you think about what actually happened there, there are lots and lots and lots of children that were gathered together into Babylon. He's playing the odds, right? I want to make sure that I find these really cute, weirdo, grody. I want to find these no-blemish, wise people that can please me. I want the best of the best. So he's gathering in a lot. And these verses draw attention to these four boys, but we need to recognize that an overwhelming percentage of the kids that were taken out of Jerusalem, out of Judea, out of the place where they're supposed to worship God and brought into Babylon, man, they just, they get castrated. They become eunuchs. They don't bear any fruit. They accept the learning and the new language and the teaching and the everything that the world is offering them day by day. They're saying, they just take it. And as I say that, we're talking like about this historical time period 2,600 years ago, and we're like, okay. But think about our friends. Think about our family all around us that are off, they're being offered these things. Satan is trying to reprogram them, and there's only a few that are called out and taken note of. So the next slide has those names. These really amazing, God-honoring, purposeful names that were given to them. And Daniel is, God is my judge. And they try and turn him into Lord of the Straightened's treasure. Gross, grody, bro. Hananiah, God has favored him. His life testifies to this. Oh, I'll just call you Shadrach. Royal, the great scribe, he's known by what he does. He writes things, not who God has been to him. Are you kidding me? Mishael, who is what God is, which is the answer is no one. Every, every, every time somebody encounters this guy, who is what God is? They think about that in this context, in this time period. And now it's, I'm just a guest to the king. I'm, I'm King Nebs. Azariah got covered by the picture. <laughs> Jehovah has helped. They turn him into Abednego, the servant of Nebo, which is this god of their fake religion that they've constructed. So in each case, each of these names, the name moves from a place where they're centered on God and they magnify God with their identity, their name. And it moves to this place where they're centered around something that's just worldly and stupid and so insignificant in comparison. So what's the objective of the enemy? Last key point. The enemy seeks to rename you and defile your personal identity. He doesn't want to just take over the places. He doesn't want to just take the people from a place. He wants you to believe you're different. He wants to have every aspect of you. So if you're going to find your identity in a statement like, I am Christ, or maybe I am who I am because the I am says that, who I am, however the heck that thing goes. <laughs> I'm not who the world says I am. And you seek to stand on that, and there's going to be that pushback. That's going to be besieged. So sometimes that's subtle. You guys out of blanks. All out of blanks. Should have put one in the very last word because you guys are like, packing up. Don't care. <laughs> Stay with me. <laughs> we got some key stuff right at the end. So sometimes this process of renaming is really subtle. A student understands who they are. Hey, I'm a servant of God. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. But then they start preferring to find their identity as like 
yeah, that's not who I am. My new name is going to be something kind of lame, like basketball player. That's what I did. I'm a hooper. Those are, those are fine things. But if that's your identity, I'm an engineer. I'm a biochemist. Great. But who you are, your name, is Jesus Christ's child. Sometimes that's subtle. We can't really, we don't always pick up on it. And then we're out of church for two months because we're just at all the games and practices. That's subtle. Sometimes it's, def it's a defilement of the truth of God's word and how we hold it as a Christian. Um, we we want to stand on God's word. We want to we stand on the truth, but then we compromise and we take in the world's thinking and it just meshes in there together. So we're speaking a little bit of like Bible here, but then we learned a little bit of Chaldean and then all together we're like this, we're this hybrid. That's gross. That's not ideal. And then sometimes it's really dramatic and it's clear as day. Somebody that's, his name was like Terrence. He's like, I think I'm going to be Teresa. And it's really dramatic. And you're like, there's a lot of confusion there. And there's a lot of hurt there. And there is. And we don't hate that person. It's somebody that's just bought into the things that the world has fed them daily. It's what everybody else is doing. But who will stand is our question. Who will stand? This last verse, Daniel 1, chapter 8, that we're looking at this morning. And there's all these people that come before the king, and they're taking it hook, line, and sinker. They're, they're going to be about the world thing now. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And God, if we could just grab this, if this is the only thing you grab this weekend, I want you to grab all the things that Chris has. I want you to grab all the other things that we've looked at this morning and we will look at tonight. But if you just purpose to not defile yourself with the things of this world, that is such an amazing start as a young man or woman of God. I'm not going to get all grody and nasty and disgusting by taking in and consuming the things of this world. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to purpose for the rest of my life that that will be true. And then day by day, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to purpose it day by day. I will not defile myself today, Lord. I will not choose to consume the ideas and the speech and the junk of this world. I'm not going to do that. That's not who I am. I know what my name is. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat or with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not have to do that. All right, verse 8 is key because verse 8 doesn't say a lot of things. So what is underlined is what is said. It does not say Belteshazzar purposed in his heart. I took the new name but I'm going to try and do it my best. It doesn't say Daniel tried really hard not to sin. It doesn't say that Daniel waited until he knew enough to resist the enemy's attacks. It doesn't say Daniel waited until he was older, because he's a child. It does not say that Daniel waited for his friends to join him and to keep him accountable before he purposed that he would live for Christ. It doesn't say those things. And it doesn't say that Daniel tried to meet tried the wine to see how it would taste, to see if it was better than the, what, the, what the Lord had already offered him. He doesn't, it doesn't say that. It says Daniel purpose in his heart. He says the things that the world offered him, I never want those. I don't want those today. Okay, so as you read through the rest of this chapter, which you can do maybe some other time, we see that one, this is humongous, guys. And one of you guys. We see that when one individual stands he purposes to stand in the midst of this junk that we've described. When one individual purposes to stand in the midst of the battle that wages for their identity, for their life, for their fruitfulness, 
the Lord brings that person into favor, into prominence, and others join that person. Other people join that person because it's way better. Like, man, that is a person I want to be with. I don't want to be in this mess, this little herd of fruitless people. This is disgusting. I hate this. I'm going to follow that one person. I'm going to be that one person that stands. All right, Josh, I'm aware of the devices of Satan. I've got the objectives that he has. Okay, we're not going to end just getting the crap beat out of us all morning. We need to have something to hold on to um, that we can take to win the battle, right? We don't want to just know what the, how, how really good Satan is about whooping our butts all day long. So all these key points are on here right now. Um, and Josh, I recognize that the places where God wants my heart, where I'm supposed to worship, that's being besieged. It's being attacked. I recognize that he's trying to prevent me from being fruitful. Key point number two. I recognize that my thoughts and actions, all these things are under attack. And I get that he's coming for my identity, how I view myself and how I view others. But how do I actually stand against the attacks of the enemy? Next slide, whoever's got that. How do I actually stand against the attacks of the enemy? So it's a purposing corresponding to everything that we've looked at this morning. It's throwing down a stake at the retreat, October 23rd, 2021, saying, I don't want to be defiled, and then taking the steps that are necessary so that wouldn't actually happen in your life. It's purposing to own who you are in Christ and to stand in it, like what we just looked at. It's purposing to run your thoughts and your feelings and your speech and your actions through the word of God that the mind of Christ would be in us. It's purposing to abide with the Lord that we might be fruitful and bring honor and glory to his life or his name and not leaving that place. And then it's purposing to prioritize consistent. There's a daily provision of all this other stuff. I'm going to prioritize intimacy with Christ daily. I got to have it because the world's trying to fatten me up on all this other junk corrupt me and defile me. Okay, so I don't know what this is going to look like. I think we're doing something else right away, but I've got a couple questions to consider. I think they're on the bottom of the page. If we don't do that right now, like if that's not what this time is going to look like, man, please, consider these, consider these key points, consider these questions, consider what God has said this morning. Will you choose to stand before the king of the world who is intentionally trying to, to change you? Will you choose to do that today? Maybe some of you guys are like, you're feeling that. God's spirit is impressing upon you what is true. You want to do that, and you just want to get real with somebody. I want to do that. I don't want to keep losing this battle. Another question, what are you consuming, and how are those things actually impacting you day by day? Like what we talked about, if he's got some aspects of you, and he's, he's got you, and you're not going to be fruitful. So what, how do you line out in here? How, where are you at? What's your next step? I'm going to pray. Um, and then we're going to do whatever the next thing is. But you know, if God is talking to you, if he's speaking to you through his word in Daniel chapter 1, through what we've covered, I, as much as I know how without just being a weirdo, like, please, please consider that with somebody. Right? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. It's quick and it's powerful and it shows us where we are. And um, I'm so thankful for it. Lord, I'm thankful for what you've given me here. I'm thankful for how used it in my life over the last couple weeks and God I just pray that it would work itself out in our lives and it would turn into a step, turn into a next action that we take Lord help us as we move on to the rest of this camp we pray in Jesus' name Amen, Amen. Amen.